It's Aspen Ideas to Go from the Aspen Institute. I'm Trisha Johnson. Civil rights activist Rashad Robinson wants us to look to the future and build a new version of democracy stronger than any we've experienced before. We have to not think about how to go backwards, but constantly think about how do we go forward? How do we constantly expand the table, expand the number of seats, recreate the table so that more of us have a voice? Robinson leads the advocacy group Color of Change, which was founded in the wake of Hurricane Katrina in 2005. The organization works to strengthen the voices of Black Americans using internet organizing tools. Aspen Ideas To Go brings you compelling conversations hosted by the Aspen Institute. Today's discussion, How Can Activism Repair Our Democracy, is from the State of Democracy Summit, co-presented by the 92nd Street Y and Aspen Digital. Color of Change has run campaigns to push for more employee diversity at major companies, urge advertisers to pull ads from shows with harmful content, called for investigating banks, and supported legislation that protects net neutrality. Robinson describes the organization's approach to identifying and framing injustice and leading a wider diversity of people into the halls of power in the hopes of building a stronger and more inclusive democratic system. Today, he talks about building power among people who have historically been shut out and the importance of holding tech companies, corporate America, the media, the government, and each other accountable for our impacts on democracy. Robinson talks with Vivian Schiller, the executive director of Aspen Digital. Here's Schiller. Hello, Rashad. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Before I start talking to you, so nice to see you and Happy New Year. You know, we were talking just before uh, we started recording this panel, and you made an interesting uh, point about the title. Um, Again, how can activism repair our democracy? You took exception with the word repair, which implies fixing something that maybe was perfect beforehand, or maybe not so much. So talk to me about that. Yeah, I mean, for me, when I think about repair, as I as the son of a contractor, as a person who sometimes has to fix things um, myself, I think about how do we restore something? How do we make something um, the same as it once was or operate the way that it used to operate? And for um, this country to truly sort of move forward, we can't think about our democracy as something that we repair, but constantly thinking about how do we make sure that our democracy actually works for the time. And that means that we have to not think about how to go backwards, but constantly think about how do we go forward? How do we constantly expand um, the table, expand the number of seats, recreate the table so that more of us have a voice and that um, the ways in which we're able to come together, deal with all the deep levels of uh, imbalances to power and access and opportunity. And so, you know, the work um, in order to make democracy work for all of us, in order to make sure that we all have a voice, regardless of whether we are privileged or vulnerable in the majority or the minority, or in favor or out of favor with whoever may be in power at any particular time, means that we have to constantly engage the rules of our democracy and make sure that they are situated um, to include all of our voices um, in all of of our communities. I I couldn't agree with you more. Um, Making this more challenging than it would be ordinarily is the fact that the very foundations of democracy to many feel a little bit rocky right now. It'd be one thing if, you know, we, we had the same kind of maybe confidence in our, in, in democracy as we had 
prior to the Trump era, quite frankly. Um, but now we have a really rocky foundation upon which to also um, look at a much more inclusive, a much more participatory democracy. So how do you think about um, these challenges and the work of your organization um, on top of concerns about things like, um, you know, will there be, um, will the next presidential election um, have C uh, uh, vote, you know, certifications overturned on the state level? Um, you know, we've got really fundamental issues for, for all Americans. Yeah, I mean, you know, in so many ways, I've had a lot of time to reflect on this. We're coming right off of, um, you know, honoring and celebrating the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King. And, and when I think about the legacy of Dr. King, I not just think about him as sort of a leader, but all of the folks who participated in, in continuing that work of making our democracy work, the, the efforts to bring about the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Writing Rights, Voting Rights Act of 1965, two seminal pieces of legislation um, that actually um, were written rules around how our democracy should work, but recognizing that all of these things require people. They require people and institutions to continue to uphold them, to continue to recognize that we have a shared faith, that um, we are better uh, together, working together than we are sort of fighting for our own individual um, sort of um, concerns, and that the ideas of, um, of whether or not we may disagree politically around issues shouldn't sort of supersede the ideas of all of us having a voice. And I think when I think about that, I think about the role of uh, leadership across many sectors. And Vivian, you know, we talked about this a lot in the Aspen Commission report, the role of leadership and actually dealing with misinformation and disinformation and not just leadership from government, but leadership across the private sectors, the role of corporate America, the role of institutions in the academy or institutions that uphold standards in our in journalism or you know, in, in the medical world or in the legal world and who we platform and uplift and how we hold one another accountable. In order to make sure our democracy works for all of us, we're gonna actually need all of us to um, participate like it's in danger and to recognize that it only um, will work if all of us sort of um, engage in a way that um, recognizes the sort of deep vulnerabilities um, any institutions have when they um, when people have to come together to make them work. You know, it's interesting, Rashad, you talk about um, the sense of feeling that our democracy is vulnerable. And I, I think that, you know, for communities of color, that's probably been a longstanding sentiment. For many others, it's a brand new phenomenon to feel that the demo that democracy is not uh, is at risk and is at risk at not serving all Americans. And so um, anyway, I just wanted to, to, to reflect, reflect, on, reflect on that for a moment. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the idea that um, all of our voices might not be heard or votes might not be certified or that our participation um, you know, might not be um, counted as legitimate is, is not um, a new concern for communities of color. And right. even this idea of vulnerability, Right, which is can oftentimes be seen as a personal trait, when in fact um, it's not just that our our democracy is vulnerable in some sort of benign way. The democracy is under attack. 
It's yeah. under threat because this idea of democracies that work um, for all of us is not something that everybody actually wants, right? People want democracy that may just work for them or democracy that allows them to hold on to more power at the expense of, of these principles. And even from the very foundations of our democracy, when we looked at who had the right to participate, who had the right to make sure that their voices were heard and, and could participate, there were always um, these ideas and these um, rules put in place to prevent um, everyone from being able to participate and everyone from being able to be counted. And so if we understand that is, is, is part of the sort of condition of how people have come together in this country. My um, friend Heather McGee um, talks a lot about the America being a land of ancestral strangers, people who have come from all different lands to try to make something work here in this country. And, and the idea of a multiracial democracy working and thriving is an experiment. But in any experiment, we have to put our best foot forward and have to do the work to deal with the all the ways in which power imbalances, um, access and opportunity um, is not um, something that we can just take for granted. All right, well, now that I think we have successfully reframed this panel from how can activism repair our democracy to how can act, act, uh, activism give us the democracy we really have always wanted, um, let's, ter let's uh, turn now to um, what can be done and to the role of act activism and how that is deployed. So talk, uh, talk a little bit about, you know, particularly the work that you're doing, Color of Change is doing. Where are you, where is that activism showing up and, um, and to what communities or sectors? Well, you know, at Color of Change, we believe that people don't experience issues we experience life, that the forces that hold us back are deeply interrelated. So a racist criminal justice system requires a racist media culture to keep it alive, to help it to thrive. The economic inequality goes hand in hand with political inequality. And so we have to focus just as much um, on power as we focus on any individual issues. And we also cannot mistake presence visibility and awareness for power, right? We can oftentimes mistake sort of the ideas that we know about January 6th and people are talking about it and maybe stories have been written about it as enough, right? Presence is really important and conversations are important and elevating these issues is important, but power is the ability to change the rules. And so our work at Color of Change every single day is about translating presence into power, giving people strategic ways to take action, to hold institutions and leaders accountable. Uh, Color of Change was actually founded during what I think of as one of the great um, you know, failures of our democracy, of our systems over the last 20 years, and that was Hurricane Katrina. Um, and I think about Katrina in a number of ways as I think about our work and think about the work as we move forward because Black folks were literally on their roofs begging for the government to do something and left to die. And the thing about Katrina is that it once again illustrates all those things that people knew, those issues that people already knew about. In the case of Katrina, you have geographic segregation, generational poverty, the impacts of what we've done to our planet and all the ways in which structural racism undergirds the failures of so many systems. But at the heart was that no one was nervous about disappointing Black people. And 
it wasn't just uh, the government, it wasn't just corporations, it wasn't just media, it was all of those institutions. And when institutions are not nervous about disappointing your community, it doesn't matter what kind of research report you have that illustrates all the facts and figures. It doesn't matter what you do in the courts if you don't have the power to implement it. Uh, it doesn't matter what folks in Silicon Valley build. We're not going to code ourselves out of uh, systemic racism. And so part of what we try to do every single day through this translating presence to power is building the sort of um, efforts to hold institutions and decision makers accountable. Because in many ways, that is what democracy is about. It's about us having enough power to hold institutions accountable. And it's about um, communities being able to build collective action to get the things that they need, um, to make sure our economy works, to make sure our voices are heard. All of those things are incredibly important. And so that's what we're doing. And we're doing it across a number of issues, but we're doing it with a deep recognition of organizing a base to make that heard. And so sometimes it's about holding corporations accountable for how they engage in our government, how they fund politicians, making sure there's visibility around who's funding those January 6th um, politicians. Um, it's about holding media and institutions accountable for disinformation and misinformation, holding Silicon Valley accountable and tech platforms accountable, and then working to make sure that we change the rules and the laws along the way. And so, you know, I think about all of those as important, but none of it happens without people. None of it happens without everyday people joining us and making their voices heard. So you mentioned, I want to get more specific now uh, about how that activism is manifested. So you talked about, I heard you just talk about three, at least three sectors. You mm -hmm. talked about um, the tech companies. You talked about sort of more broadly uh, corporate America and the way that they're funding or not funding certain um, political actors. And you talked about um, government action. So um, did I did I capture sort yeah, of those? Yeah, three? yeah, yeah. So so talk a little bit about specifically the work that you're doing in, in each of those areas and 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 its impacts, and, so, and and how people that are listening to this, uh, listening to us today can 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 be part of that. So across Silicon Valley, um, we're doing work to um, push tech companies to do racial equity audits, to look at sort of the role and decisions that are being made in their companies as it relates to race. We're working to um, make real demands on these companies in terms of their policies and their practices um, every single day. In terms of corporate America, we watched in 2020 um, you know, as many corporations said Black Lives Matter and committed to actually engaging um, around their practices around race. And we saw deep failures um, from moving from uh, statements to um, action. And we've relaunched something called Beyond the Statement. And Beyond the Statement is a, is a platform that actually focuses on um, corporate America and really pushes these companies to put in place real actions, real demands. But when I think about all of these things, it's not enough to simply ask um, companies and corporations to do better if they're not actually held accountable by rules and laws, by structures that make sure that they have to play by the same rules as anyone else, that we can pass laws around Silicon, around, around, um, 
around uh, civil rights and those in Silicon Valley can decide whether or not they're going to follow those rules because those with more money, those with more power can make decisions about what rules work for them and when they have immunity and don't have immunity. And so part of how we sort of have to work across all of these sectors is build up enough energy, build up enough will of, from the public and build up a, enough of the sort of power to make sure that those who make decisions know there'll be consequences for inaction. Um, we have to build all of that to make sure that we are constantly pushing the ball forward. And, you know, at Color of Change, we really think about how do we leverage the sort of 21st century tools and the 21st century ways of communicating to be able to help people respond effectively to the injustice around them, but also fight to actually change the rules. So it's not just responding, but it's about building the type of pressure so we get new rules down the road. And going back to this idea of not mistaking presence for power, you know, when we mistake presence for power, we can sometimes think that we've done something that we haven't done just because it can feel good, right? So we can think a black president means that we are post-racial. It doesn't mean that a black president's bad, but it means that thinking that we're post-racial actually prevents us from actually dealing with the challenges. We can sometimes think that America loving and celebrating black celebrities means that America loves black people as much as America loves black culture and America can love and celebrate and oftentimes monetize black culture and hate black people at the same time. And those two things don't always have to be in conflict. And so part of how we have to operate across each of these sectors is this idea of power. Because uh, communities that have oftentimes been targeted, exploited, held back, are not, um, are not going to win. Um, if we don't actually organize and build sort of the engagement. And so I oftentimes say that we will always lose in the back rooms if we don't have the people lined up at the front door. And so across each of these sectors, we recognize the work of lining people up at the front door. And for people who wanna be part of that effort, who wanna be part of that collective struggle, they only have to join us at colorofchange.org. And at that way, we can help direct you to all of the sort of ways in which we are working every every single day to hold these institutions accountable, to build more power, and in the process, making democracy work for all of us. Yeah, you know, the lines, I think, it, it, you know, it's it, it's looking around uh, the world today, it's, how, it's hard not to come to the conclusion that uh, the lines are, the lines have been drawn, and they're perhaps um, unmovable in the sense of um, the, 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 who is, who remains to be a persuadable, so to speak, who, who is, um, who can move from the camp of not being persuaded in these issues being important, um, to, to, to become part of the solution. And by that, I mean, you know, I'm really, let's, 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 let's give it a name. It's, you know, Trump has been out of office now for a year, but, uh, Trumpism is very, very, very much alive. And, Tens and tens of millions of people in this country are um, are, uh, are are look are reading the kind of media that isn't necessarily going to draw them to the same kind of conclusions and draw them to the same kind of um, agreement of the change that needs to happen. How do you galvanize people at a time when we're we're so polarized? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important that we are honest with ourselves around 
to sometimes the failures of our side to tell a powerful story to people about the pain that they're facing, the, the challenges that we are really facing. Trump told a story. It was a story of blame. And he blamed immigrants. He blamed Black people. He blamed women. He blamed all sorts of people for the harms and concerns. And he told a story that allowed um, people to um, uh, think that um, their pain was, was being caused by people who were simply fighting for more equity, for a better tomorrow. But far too often, those who um, want a democracy that um, allows us all to participate tell stories of inequality that are unfortunate rather than unjust. And what I mean by that, uh, Vivian, is that we oftentimes hear stories that think about inequality, that, that, that kind of um, animate inequality as almost like a car accident. Like it sort of just happened. And when we tell um, stories that are unfortunate rather than unjust, we get charitable solutions to structural problems. So we will have people thinking that it's enough to send water bottles to Flint instead of holding corporations who don't pay their fair share accountable to make sure our pipes are actually clean. We will think it's enough to have a service day at an inner city school instead of actually dealing with the inequalities in public education. We will think it's enough to simply deal with reentry programs rather than recognizing that in order to deal with the fact that the United States has 4% of the world's population and 25% of the world's incarcerated population means that we have to address these issues at the structural level. But because these stories are told in ways that oftentimes, you know, even from sort of a, a language perspective, put the active voice on the people and the uh, passive voice on the system. So we hear people say Black people are less likely to get a loan from the bank instead of saying banks are less likely to give loans right. to Black people. And on one hand, um, you know, people may think, oh, you know, that's just semantics, Rashad. But if you say, you know, banks um, are less likely to give loans to Black people, you actually start questioning what's happening with the banks. On the other hand, you have people asking what's wrong with Black people and trying to fix Black people to deal with institutions which have targeted, exploited, redlined us from the very beginning. And so all of this for us, I like to think about this in terms of what can we do? How can we change our language? How can we build um, the the type of um, stories and tell the type of stories that actually help people not just um, feel like they can be on our side, but know how to be on our side, how to fight, how to bring more people in. And then what, where we need to direct people's energy to actually do the work, right? Uh, that I think is part of what we can do to address the, the kind of uh, story um, that are out there. And, and to be clear, People who are down the well on misinformation and disinformation are not our audience here, yeah. right? It is so many other people who are out here looking at the stories that are being told. And when a big lie about uh, Black history and the teaching of Black history is being told um, that, is that is trying to sort of ban Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks from our schools, it's not enough to tell people, oh, we're not teaching that. We actually have to tell the story that these are the same people that want to uh, make sure that girls don't learn math, that didn't want gay teachers in school, that wanted to ban um, evolution and climate change from being taught. And now they want to ban Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks. And that is how we tell the stories to people who are watching this and wondering what side to be on and how to be engaged the right way. And I think that the more we can stand up 
push back and tell stories that give people the ability to be on our side, to recognize that we are the protagonists in the American story of democracy, because protagonists are people who constantly have to fight in any story to make something work and face tons of uphill battles in that fight, we will be able to get more people on our side. And, um, and we'll be able to face down the villains, whether they are Donald Trump, whether they are Trump, whether it's Trumpism and all those that will fall sort of um, behind them, or whether they are their enablers, those that sort of um, don't play a political side, but will side with whoever may be more profitable to their sort of self-interest, even if it's at the expense of our society. Yeah. Well, you know, you're, you, you make such an important point when you're talking about the way stories are told and, you know, even about headlines, which sort of brings us to the media and the role of the media. It, you know, in many ways, I, I, your point is taken about, you know, we need to move from presence to, to power. But of course, the media is the presence in the, in the case of the media is the power mm-hmm. um, it, in many ways, um, particularly as there are more and more media outlets and, 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 and camps forming around um less, you know, more reliable and less, uh, less reliable media. I know that's a big area of focus for you. We only have a couple of minutes left. So I want to just um, give you a, give you sort of a f- final word, you know, in terms of that kind of storytelling and also, um, you know, a sort of more to end on um, a more hopeful, although you're always, you're always very hopeful, which mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I really appreciate it. I, I'm sort of in a deficit of that uh, these days. Uh, tell us what you're most hopeful for that we can ach- we can achieve um, in this coming year. You know, I I'm constantly hopeful in terms of how people um, are willing to put themselves on the line to engage, to participate, to raise their voices. Um, I think about the summer of 2020, right when so many of us were quarantined in our homes. If we were privileged enough. to to be there. Um, I think that there was a time when many people thought that the best this country could do at that time in terms of activism was clap outside of our windows or uplift investigative journalism. And it was racial injustice that drove people into the streets, that pushed people to raise their voices. And when I say people, I'm talking about multiracial groups of people joining together to fight for a better tomorrow together, raising their voices, families coming out, raising their voices, making donations, um, registering voters, doing so much work to save these ideas of democracy that weren't just about their own personal participation, but about what was about their neighbor's participation. And in a country that has dealt with so much racial strife, that it was founded on the persecution and genocide of native and indigenous populations the servitude um, and exploitation and violence against Black communities, um, leaving out women of all races and so many others, that it was racial justice that drove people to action. And so I think the thing I really want to lead people on is that a a true democracy uh, will not produce racial justice. Racial justice is going to produce a true democracy. Because in a country that was founded on so much racial strife, our potential, our hope, our opportunity has to live in this idea that all of us can come together to right those harms, to build a better tomorrow. And we know that it's possible because time and time again, some of our best moments as we commemorate Dr. Martin Luther King, as we think about the summer of 2020, have come out of pain, but have been part of this idea of hope. 
And so I constantly have hope about what a better tomorrow could look like. Media has a role, corporate America has a role, uh, government has a role, and every single one of us has a role um, to make sure that we are doing everything we possibly can to make uh, tomorrow better for all of us. Rashad, I am always inspired when I uh, when I listen to you, and today is no exception. Um, thank you so much. Those are such inspiring words and, and really a hopeful message for the new year. Rashad Robinson is a longtime organizer and civil rights leader and has been the president of Color of Change since 2011. He speaks to the media often, writes a monthly column in the Guardian newspaper, and is a member of the Aspen Commission on Information Disorder. Color of Change has frequently achieved national recognition for its campaigns and has been praised by Fast Company Magazine for its innovative approaches to organizing. Vivian Schiller has held executive positions at some of the most respected media organizations in the world, including NPR, NBC, and the New York Times. She joined the Aspen Institute as the executive director of Aspen Digital in 2020. Make sure to subscribe to Aspen Ideas To Go wherever you're listening. Follow Aspen Ideas year-round on social media at Aspen Ideas. Today's show was programmed by Aspen Digital and produced by Natalie Jones and me. Our music is by Wonderly. I'm Trisha Johnson. Thanks for listening. Thank you.